TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. It's that time of night, you can't stay uptight So come and join the people and I'm feeling alright Here on Overnight America Overnight America Oh, we got one last hour. So tonight was the last of the debates. The mayoral candidates, Kara Spencer and Tashar Jones, Next week, we'll probably have the winner called by this time next week, uh, just seven days away, because it is on April 6th, which is next Tuesday, which is the mayoral election and other things on the ballot. Sure. But that's the one a lot of people are watching in St. Louis. I just don't know which way that's going to go. I think right now the front runner is to Jones. There was a couple of things that Kara Spencer pointed out. There's been a lot of issues with Tashara Jones's. Uh, history. And one of the big ones happens to be this bid, this no bid $7 million contract given to a friend and campaign contributor. Very sketchy. And I think about abuses in government and what we've been through. We already know that Steve Stanger, who abused government contracts and is now sitting in a federal prison, got caught. And luckily he got caught. And luckily he was held accountable for those crimes. Let it be too little. I mean, he should be in prison longer, but, you know, makes me upset. But still, uh, taxpayers taken for a ride in the county. And now we have Sam Page, who I don't like. And if Sam Page is endorsing <laughs> Deshar Jones, um, that to me says, well, there's problems there. Because if we're going to run things in the city and county in the similar fashion in that way, I think that Kara Spencer is right to point out some of the issues between the campaigns. Let me bring up a few points from this. Casey, if I may, uh, I need to clear something up. There was not a single contribution to my campaign that wasn't reported. While there was a small hiccup in the time during which it was reported, under no circumstance did we fail to report a single uh, issue. On the other and this is referring to a report that came out, and this is kind of a last-ditch effort, if this is the worst you can do in your Tashara Jones's campaign. Uh, so Kara Spencer says what that there was a campaign contribution that was filed, I think it was $7,500, and it was filed like a day late or something along. The, it's not that it wasn't filed, it was just filed late. Okay, 
Sure. Um, I think that pales in comparison to all the no bid contracts uh, from Deshara Jones when she was uh, running the office there, the treasurer's office, including a $7 million one. That's not good when it comes from a campaign contributor that you're awarding it to. If we're going to talk about transparency, we should look at how transparent the treasurer's office currently is. If you go to St. Louis uh, Treasurer's website right now and look up the 2020 report, it's a whopping one page, one page to describe the ongoings of financial happenings in our treasurer's office and our parking fund for the last full year. When I'm elected mayor, we will take transparency seriously and we will make sure that every single contract, every single expenditure is accounted for, just like you see on the city's budget, as opposed to how we handle it currently. If we wanna see how the transparency of the the, the $500,000 would be handled under the treasurer, all we have to do is look at the treasurer's transparency on her website right now. So you can actually go to the website. I'm going to it again. It's stltreasurer.org. And there's a button for transparency. And what it does is it shows annual reports. You can click that. And I'll just look at it right now because there's only three reports, 2018, 19, and 20. So not really spanning much in this sense. But you can look at 2020 report. It's there. And you click on it, and it is one page. And it's like a a cheap PowerPoint. It says St. Louis Treasurer's Office 2020 Year in Review. Uh, impacting over 1,700 tickets, amnesty recovered payments, uh, securing outstanding debt. Operation Hope is on there. And there's a bunch of logos like the city treasurer seal, things like that. Picture of Tashara Jones, other people. There's really no information here that would constitute a report. This is not a report. This is just a placeholder. You would think by three months into the year, you'd be able to have this report set for 2020. And I think a lot of it has to do with the problems with some of these contracts. Are you purposely waiting until after you have the election in order to put this information out because you believe it would be damaging for your efforts? Or uh, it, why is it taking so long? Are there directing, uh, are you directing your time in other positions? Okay. So let's see how Deshara Jones answers that. Treasurer? Well, if she had filed her reports on time, then we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had to file, there wouldn't have been an ethics report filed against her. Uh, for failing to report those uh, those contributions in a timely fashion uh, right before the March primary. So that that is that is the issue. That is what it is. Um, and so I stand on on what I said. What do you say to her criticism of the transparency of your office currently? We are very transparent. You can go to stltreasurer.org and look up our transparency portal uh, and see for yourself. No. Well, that's the thing. You have a website. That doesn't mean you're transparent. Uh, all it means is you have a website. Transparency in this fashion is talking about government spending as a treasurer. And when you go and look at the report, you don't show your how you spend uh, this. So let me just go back and so it says mayoral candidate Kara Spencer campaign acknowledged it failed to report about 13,000 in donations prior to the March 2nd primary as required by state law. 13 donations were received after February 18th and under the state law, because each donation was at least $250, they're supposed to be listed as supplemental reports. Um, instead they were disclosed. Let's see along a list of other donations and expenditures. So, they were listed, but in the wrong column, I guess, and later corrected after the date. 
So you can go and read the complaint, and it's kind of a minor complaint, all things considered. I think the much glaring problem that we have is this $7 million no-bid contract going to one of your campaign donors and a friend. That's questionable. And then when you go and look at this annual report, it's not a report. It's it's a one-page PowerPoint that doesn't answer anything. So it's almost like in the county where they haven't ran an audit in how many years because they have an auditor that's not an auditor. <laughs> this is not good. Uh, so there has to be something here. And if your big comeback is, oh, filed, you filed donations in the wrong column and then corrected it later, that's your big gripe? Okay. You know, there's a couple of back and forth jabs. I wanted to play that from the debate earlier. This was on PBS. I'll do that. After, and if you watched the debate or had some comments or observations of it, 314-436-7900. That's the number you could call on Overnight America KMOX. Next Level Listening. News Radio 1120 AM, 98.7 FM, KMOX, the voice of St. Louis. I'm going to play a couple more clips from the mayoral debate. When I was watching earlier, uh, I think there was about 225 people that were watching online. That's how I preferred to watch it was the YouTube stream of it. I don't know how many people were watching it over the air, being on PBS. Uh, I know there was... KSDK was a part of it, too, and Casey Nolan was asking some pretty interesting questions. Let me ask, uh, let me play this one question for you, one of the questions from Casey. Casey Nolan from Five on Your Side. Okay, uh, Treasurer Jones, can a white mayor know enough about being black in St. Louis to be a mayor for all of St. Louis? What a question. <laughs> I thought that's, a, that's interesting. You want to know how that one's answered, don't you? Listen to the question again. This is how it's. Can a white mayor know enough about being black in St. Louis to be a mayor for all of St. Louis? So is the question saying that we have to discriminate in order to understand? The, the thing almost encourages discrimination in the way that they bring it up. But let's uh, play the answer. I think that uh, we have had... Uh, white mayors that have been allies and, and white people that have been allies. But I don't believe that a white person can understand. Oh, pause there. Here we go. And the, the lived experience of a black person in this city. Um, a white person doesn't have to tell their white children how to act when they're stopped by the police. That's a conversation I have to have with my son every time he leaves my house. Oh, my computer's freezing here for a second. Let me try this again. A white person doesn't have to worry about their child uh, getting hit by a stray bullet um, when he's outside playing. That's something that I worry about with my son, and it's almost happened to him several times in our neighborhood. Uh, so um, while, I, while I appreciate the role of white allies in this movement of progress, I don't believe that uh, that that uh, that they have the lived experiences to be able to lead a majority minority city. Let me point this out real quick and I, not to, to uh, not to diminish people's experiences. But if you are in the city of St. Louis, I don't think it's a white or black or any type of thing. I think everyone's worried about getting shot. I don't think it's a race thing to be in St. Louis and afraid of being a victim of a violent crime. That's a that's a thing that's a problem with the city, all right? I, I don't think those bullets are just going to discriminate based on race. That's a crime issue. So, number one. The other part of it, too, I also feel that um, if we play this up, that there's, you know, everything 
in the whole problem with St. Louis is everything's got to be a racial problem is you're, you're going in the wrong direction. If everything is a racial problem, everything we encounter has a component to it and it's all boils down to there being racial problems in St. Louis, then are you really addressing all the issues in St. Louis? If, if what you're, um, what's the old adage? If all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail type of deal. If that's all we're doing when it comes to race and every, every problem looks like it, we can fix it by saying we're, it's a racial problem, then you're not really taking the right approach to the problems. Because ultimately, if you're trying to solve these problems in St. Louis, then you have to look at this with multiple tools in your toolbox, per se. All right, let's see the other side of it. Alder Woman, same question. I, I, obviously, you think that a white person can, but convince voters. Sure. Um, when I filed to run for mayor... Imagine if that was worded the other way around, too. Let me let me just point out. Imagine if it was worded in any other way. To me, it's just it's just a weird way to ask the question. Imagine if there's a lot of uh, men out there that don't believe a woman could be a mayor of St. Louis. Try to convince them as a woman that you could actually run this city. Imagine if he phrased it like that or if the roles were reversed when it comes to the color of the skin. Imagine if we said we don't, I don't even want to put the hypothetical out there. It feels weird saying it out loud, but that's the way Casey was phrasing this. It just seems weird. It seems uh, icky. When I filed to run for mayor a year ago, um, there was only one candidate in this race. And I filed to run because I believed I have the right tools, the right perspective, and the right experience to lead this city. My experience working with the 20th Ward, the most diverse ward in the city of St. Louis, uh, has given me the tools. I know how to work with people, all kinds of people. I'll sit down. I know how to have a tough conversation and bring people, all kinds of people, to the table. But I do acknowledge that uh, the history in our nation of leaders, all leaders failing communities of color, creates skepticism, skepticism that is born out of real lived experience and it is my job as elected official to break that down not with words but with actions my actions in the 20th ward helping to bring some of our most challenged neighborhoods into positions of growth for the first time in decades is what i'll bring citywide i have a firm commitment to racial reconciliation and bringing all people to the table i believe all of us all st louisans have a role and a responsibility to play in addressing the racism the structural racism that has held our city back for longer than any of okay so that was uh kara spencer giving her answer to the question it's just so weirdly worded in that sense i don't think that's getting a lot of play right now but there it might if you watch the debate uh, maybe you also saw that part and said eh, it's it's a little weird and it seems like a little i don't know racist in a way to bring it up like that right it seems a little weird that question or maybe not. Maybe it's just a St. Louis thing, and he's just trying to be real with the way people think in St. Louis, as in, uh, hey, here we are. But either way, we're going to take a break here in a moment, and Brad Young's going to join us after the break. He's a partner at Harris, Dahl, Fisher & Young, and the Supreme Court is considering taking up some pretty big cases in Kentucky and, well, other places across the country one has to do with college athletics and what could be done there when it comes to the payment side of things. And, you know, since we're going to be airing this interview, and if you had a comment or something, if you wanted to, you can text it in at 314-436-7900. 
Or if you also want to, you could message me on Facebook. Ryan Wrecker Radio is the place where you can go. Ryan Wrecker Radio on Facebook. Just drop me a line on there. Maybe comment on a story or a post or whatever. And then we can always uh, communicate that way. A look at your weather's coming up too. It's Overnight America, KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love. Hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. The boys of summer are ready. Baseball on the radio. The Cardinals 2021 season starts Thursday in Cincinnati. Follow the Redbirds all season long with Shannon Rooney and Horton on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. King OX. From Hairstyle Fisher and Young, partner of that firm, Brad Young, how are you? I'm doing great, Ryan. It's great to talk to you. So you're going to be in doing the show Thursday night. Very exciting. And still, you find time for me tonight to come on, even though all of these things you could be talking about, I guess, in a few days. Well, maybe, but you know, I I find it a joy and a pleasure to to sit in the big O and A chair <laughs> where my feet can't really touch the floor, you know, because it's just a massive chair for Ryan Wrecker. <laughs> uh, but I enjoy sitting in there and uh, and doing my best because it's a lot of fun. It works well. There's a few things going on in the Supreme Court, and I thought about you because I know you follow them pretty closely. And there was that one story about the Supreme Court taking up a case based out of Kentucky, and it has to do with an abortion law. We know that there is a different dynamic to the Supreme Court, and everyone wondered with that new dynamic, Amy Coney Barrett being confirmed at the end of last year, how that could change things like the abortion cases that come to the Supreme Court. So I was hoping you can explain what case they're bringing up and what it may mean. Sure. It's called Cameron versus EMW Women's Surgical Center. And what's interesting here, Ryan, is that even though it's an abortion case, it stems from Kentucky's 2018 ban on a very common uh, method of surgical abortion that is very gruesome that I won't even describe here on the air. Uh, but really, the case at the Supreme Court is not about abortion. What happened is this. Uh, in between the signing of this Kentucky law in 2018, which was signed by Republican Governor Matt Bevin, he then lost and a new governor was seated, and it's a Democrat, Andy Bashir. And so the Democrat governor now is saying, I'm not going to follow through and defend this law. I'm just going to let it be stricken, and I'm not going to defend it because he's a Democrat and he's pro-abortion. So what's happened is is that the uh, Kentucky Attorney General, Daniel Cameron, stepped in and is trying to pursue this case because the governor will not. And so he's filed a motion to intervene in this case. The lower court said he couldn't do it. So at the Supreme Court, really, even though it's an abortion 
case. I know this is complicated because it's taken me longer than 20 seconds to describe it. Uh, but what the, uh, the only issue at the court this term will be whether or not the Kentucky Attorney General, Daniel Cameron, whom I think will eventually be running for president in the not-too-distant future, whether he can step in in the shoes of a Democrat governor and still defend this abortion law. That's the only issue that's going to be in front of the court on this case. That's kind of interesting because, so how do governors play into state law? Mostly, you don't think of them having that sort of authority that some of the other branches that are associated with law, like the attorney general, would have. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, if if there's a situation where uh, a governor refuses, for example, to sign a law or sign a bill into law, and then that law becomes challenged, the governor, as the head of the executive branch, has a lot of discretion about whether or not he or she wants to defend that law. And we're literally seeing that played out right now in Kentucky. Uh, and so the whole, our whole view of the Supreme Court, the conservative versus the liberal and the pro-abortion justices versus the anti-abortion justices, none of that is truly going to come into play here because all of the issues are procedural. Mm, gotcha. So there's other things the Supreme Court are going to look at in the NCAA Athlete compensation has been debated for a long time. Should college athletes be able to make money while they are on scholarship and playing for a team? Are they able to sell their name, their services, things like that? In the past, colleges and athletes would both get in trouble for it, and there's been some pretty large cases for that. But it seems like that is also being challenged all the way up to the Supreme Court. Well, it is. And again, this is a situation that's in flux. Uh, because the NCAA case that's going to be up at the, with the Supremes this term, I, I think this is a fascinating concept because we've been debating this idea about what does it mean to be uh, a uh, an athlete? What does it mean to be an, an amateur athlete? What's the difference between a college athlete and a professional athlete? All of those are great big ideas. But this idea stems from the following situation. Uh, Sean Alston uh, who is a who was a running back back in 2014 for the West Virginia Mountaineers? Uh, he wanted all of his expenses covered under his scholarship, including the cost of computers and other things. And the university said, "No, we're not going to do that." And all of the universities in the Division One got together and said, "Even though we give these people a full ride scholarship, we're not going to pay for everything." Mm-hmm. And I, I even, in fact, experienced that. My my daughter had a quote, full-ride scholarship on rowing, but yet there were lots of things that weren't covered by that scholarship. So they just filed an antitrust lawsuit and said that all of these universities are firing to keep money from these student-athletes. So this isn't the issue about whether or not college athletes can be compensated. That's going to be an issue for another day. But this is going to decide whether or not these universities can agree among each other and whether that violates uh, antitrust laws, monopoly laws, whether they can get together and agree on what kind of expenses they will or won't pay to athletes, because that's the whole thing about monopolies and antitrust law. It's not like you can go to another system. If you want to go and be a Division One athlete, you're dealing with all of these same universities that all get together in the smoke-filled back rooms and make their decisions, and that's really the essence of this lawsuit. Wow. That's an interesting way to look at it because there's no alternatives. Is it even possible in college athletics to have an alternative um, to one organization? Because I, I think about how here in St. Louis, for example, 
there's two different unions for police officers, you know, and that's kind of weird. You think if you're a police officer, you're in a union or not in the union, but there's different unions for different people. And I thought about that with the NCAA. Is that even possible to have an alternative where you're possibly represented by a different governing body while still going to the same college? Because otherwise, if, if that's not even a possibility, how could that be some sort of uh, monopoly? Well, it isn't a possibility, and so that's why the Supreme Court has struggled over the years. In fact, they dealt with this issue, I think it was back in 1984, when this issue first came to the Supreme Court about whether the NCAA is a monopoly or not. And and basically what the NCAA, or rather what the Supreme Court said back in 1984, was that they're going to relax the antitrust rules for the NCAA as long as we're dealing with things that are reasonably related to preserving amateur and college sports to promote competition. And the court said back in 1984 that they would uphold any reasonably related rules against any sort of an antitrust challenge as long as they're reasonable. Well, lawyers love the term reasonable, Ryan. You don't want to know why? Because there's no definition of what reasonable means. So I can argue for my client, the other side can argue for their client, we can all use the same word, reasonable, and it's never defined. We love that word. Mm-hmm. So, so that's really the, the, the gist of this particular litigation. Now, I think coming down the pike, as the NCAA starts to allow college athletes to be compensated to some extent, uh, and I know that there's rules being discussed for that, this is going to be heavily litigated because we're talking about huge buckets of money when it comes to athletes, just enormous buckets of money. And so anytime people are fighting over large buckets of money, that's when the lawyers get involved. So you're going to see that here, I think, as this issue expands to compensate college athletes, it's going to be heavily litigated. Mm -hmm. Brad Young from Hairstyle Fisher & Young and a couple of other cases that have to do with legalities. And what I was curious about, because I saw this headline from Yahoo News, and the White House put out a statement and said, if there's going to be another Supreme Court seat that comes up open in the future, that Joe Biden is committed to nominating the first black woman to the Supreme Court. And I thought about that, and it made me wonder, because whenever you post a job, there's certain laws and regulations. EEO comes in, equal opportunities for people that are applying for a job. And I thought, you wouldn't be allowed to put that into a job listing without getting seriously in trouble. And I thought, okay, can... The Supreme Court be looked at that under under EEO law. <laughs> you know that I I got to tell you whenever whenever we talked about this earlier today I have truly never it has never occurred to me before today Ryan what a great <laughs> what a great observation and you know as I thought about it I I do not think since this is an appointment and the Constitution gives the president pretty much exclusive power to appoint whomever he or she wants to the Supreme Court. Um, I guess there would be the presumption that they have to have a pulse, okay? But other than that, uh, I I don't think there would be any other restrictions. So, no, I I don't think uh, that that anyone could challenge uh, that on the basis of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. I've just never thought of that question. And you get an A-plus for thinking outside of the box. (laughs) Because I thought if you were to look at a job listing, oh, you can get in some trouble for putting something like that down, like you're specifically trying to target one race over another, things like that. Or even if you're trying to post a room for rent, you can get in trouble for saying things like that. So it made me wonder on the federal level if there was (laughs) something there. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm still holding out for a president to say, I'm looking for a 50-something bald white man who's slightly overweight. You know, and that's, <laughs> I, I'm, looking for, I'm looking for that nomination because I will apply for that in a heartbeat. Yeah, we'll be strongly considered. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> so all the other words and the lingo they use in those filings. But it also made me wonder, and I saw this one article from Reason.com. They're a pretty libertarian type of uh, publication, and they're question was the basic income program. There's certain counties that are starting to deal with that, and there's a few in particular that have excluded white people because they said they want this to go to people that are minorities. They say that they have been particularly hit hard during the coronavirus, thus this money should be earmarked for them. And their question was, if you exclude a certain race from something like a basic income program, is that even legal? Um, What are your thoughts on that? Well, my initial thoughts are that. I actually looked at that issue earlier this week. And I believe it's Marin County, California, and the city of Oakland, California. And in those, in, in those municipalities, they're looking for private funding to give away privately donated money to start what is, in essence, uh, an experiment of universal basic income. We're going to give money to people who are minorities and other specific groups. So the money is privately donated. And I think that's what makes the difference in this case is if the money is privately donated, then there really wouldn't be any sort of a constitutional issue with that because private people can give money to anyone for any reason. The question becomes, how much involvement will Marin County or the city of Oakland have? And if they have any uh, direct involvement with regard to giving that money and deciding who gets that money, there are enormous, there's 14th Amendment issues with that. Uh, that that are just yelling and screaming, uh, and and many other issues because the government then is deciding who gets the money and who doesn't based upon their ethnicity, and and that's an enormous issue. So I'm certain that we'll see litigation from this, and the focal point will be what level of involvement does the government have in doling out that money. Interesting. And there's other programs and things I think that would be modeled after this when you see. Different places in California, there's normally this trickle-down effect where there's other cities or counties that want to mimic or try the same thing. And there's other organizations specifically that are asked to look directly at what California is doing, and then they want to try to do it here. So it's probably better to get those sort of things answered first. And it makes me also wonder why they think that government involvement this way would not be challenged. And why wouldn't you just do this through a third party altogether? Can, can the government even, let's say, promote this? So, or would that even be crossing a line? I don't know. There's something called the lemon test, which is is the test the Supreme Court uses in situations where the government is giving money to religious institutions. And one of the tests of the lemon test from the 1960s Supreme Court case is how much involvement, whether there is excessive entanglement is the exact phrase that the Supreme Court used in the 60s during the lemon, lemon versus Kurtzman, I believe was the name of that case. And so I would see something similar here, whereas if there is, is excessive entanglement with the government in determining who gets the money and who doesn't, then it could absolutely violate a, a lot of folks' constitutional principles, including due process. If they're just giving a list of, he's, these are all the people that the census data shows fits your criteria for giving the money away, and they just give someone a list, I don't see that as being excessive entanglement. If they get into the business of determining who gets the money and making decisions, 
that would certainly be excessive entanglement. Uh, promotion, boy, that's just right on the edge. Uh-huh. So Brad Young from Hairstyle Fisher & Young, partner at the firm there, you're going to be doing this show on Thursday night. I'm very excited for it because you always come up with some great, great guests and things to talk about. Anytime I get a chance to listen to the days you fill in, uh, I understand why so many people write and say they love it when you fill in, so I'm really looking forward to it. Well, I'll be listening on Friday as you're filling in for Annie Fry, I believe uh, noon to uh, noon to 3, I think, on 97.1. So have a good time in the afternoon, my friend. Brad Young, Hairstyle Fisher & Young. Thank you very much for coming on tonight to Overnight America. My pleasure. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America, KMOX. Overnight America with Ryan Recker is sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. That is, uh, that's a show right there. We're getting close to the end of Overnight America for the night. And as you heard at the end of the interview there with Brad Young, he's going to be filling in on Thursday night. I'm going to have the night off because I've been asked to fill in for our sister station, 97.1, on Friday. So I'll have Thursday night off. I'll get to drive into the radio station on Friday. I'll get to pay, well, not pay, I should say. I'll get to use for the parking pass that I pay for inside of the building, and I'll try to get my most out of that. I'll probably park over three different parking spaces. I'll just park the long way to really make up for all the time that I haven't been parking inside of the parking garage because I want to get my money's worth, and that's the way I think I'll do it. And I'm sure no one will be upset about that, right? No one would actually get upset over that. Probably would. Easter is this weekend. I'm thinking about brining and cooking up another turkey because I loved it for Thanksgiving so much as opposed to doing a ham this year for my family. So I'm looking forward to that too. Maybe we'll do some Easter talk tomorrow night. But talking about Easter, Kevin Clean has another great whole nother story. He was the youngest of three sons, and the boys all worked alongside their mom and dad in the family business. Crown Candy. Andy Karanzov says Easter has always been the busiest time of the year. Well, Easter in the Karanzov family was we all go to work. Uh, you know, I mean, it, we would get Easter baskets and none of us would eat the candy because we're around it all the time. My friends would come over and eat all my Easter candy. I never ate it because I saw it every day when I was down here on my spring break. I didn't get to go to Florida. I got to come to work. You were off Easter Sunday, right? We used to be open on Easter Sunday. And when so, you were a kid? Yes. What, did you have to come down here and work? When I was the, yeah, I was the youngest. Of course, they made me work. Yeah. So, so, what, were you a busboy or washing dishes or whatever needed to be done? Yeah. I mean, I sold candy. I, 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 you know, I scooped ice cream. I did whatever, you know, and then I finally, I started telling everybody, hey, you guys got to start working or uh, I'm getting tired of working Easter. And then my brothers decided that we should close on Sundays. <laughs> Was there one happy moment where you think back to your mom and your dad, all, everybody in the room on an Easter Sunday? Oh, yeah. You get done, and my dad would come home, and we would have Easter dinner. And, you know, and there was always a sense of if it was a really good year, there was nothing left. And my dad was a happy man that, you know, there were no bunnies left. And and that that's when I he was at his best because Easter was his, his – was all him. He loved Easter. He was a consummate – Easter candy maker and Easter candy salesman. He can sell Easter candy like no tomorrow. Do you think uh, the workload around Easter has made you a little bit resentful of Easter as a holiday, like here it comes again? I love it and I hate it. People say, what do you do for Easter? I say, we survive it. 
What are you going to do on Easter Sunday this year? Nothing. We're not getting out of our pajamas. Sherry and I are going to be sitting at home all day doing nothing. Does it do something to you, this frazzle-dazzle, hurry up, give me a bunny for five weeks? It does. It's, it, it, it is. It's, it's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I love being busy. But it is a lot of work. It's it's mentally and physically exhausting. And by the time we're done, it's we're done. Well, you'll be resting on Easter Sunday. Yes, and Easter Monday. That's Crown Candy Andy with a whole other story. I'm Kevin Killeen. That has a really nice ring to it. Crown Candy Andy. It's kind of difficult to put out there, but I'll tell you, I'm a fan of Crown Candy. I don't make it out there all that often, but I do like to see his photos on Twitter where he's cooking up some bacon. Mm -mm -mm. I do the same thing on Sundays. I cook up bacon, but... To, uh, to him, I am just a lowly amateur compared to the amount of bacon they cook up on site there. So we're going to have a couple of hours. The replay hour is coming up next, including the one next hour, which you'll be able to catch our interview with Bill Winstrom. He's a consumer finance expert and with the potential of higher taxes on the way. This could be a big White House announcement with Joe Biden tomorrow, President Biden. And part of it will be unveiling what they're planning on doing. It sounds like it's going to be very costly. So what kind of taxes will be with that and how that will impact you with our guests next hour. Also, we're going to talk just a little bit about what's going on in the fight of COVID and some severe reactions and herd immunity. When are we going to find that in St. Louis? So a lot to get to in the replay hours. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of your night. We'll be back again on Wednesday night, 8 o'clock. Sleep well, and we'll see you then. Bye. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. T Mobile.com.